Have you ever read a passage of scripture and you're saying to yourself, I have no clue what this author is trying to say. I have certainly been there. And one of the things that you learn in studying the Bible is making sure that we understand the way to interpret particular passages. In today's podcast, we're going to be looking at the end of Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to be seeing how we are to metaphorically take what Paul is saying to apply to the spiritual meaning in the New Testament. So turn to Galatians chapter 4, and let's get into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. Blessed to be with you. Jason Jimenez here. So thankful for you guys as we continue here on the podcast, studying the book of Galatians. And I got to say, as we dive into the end of Galatians chapter four, and then after that, we're going to be two chapters away to completing Galatians, another book here on the podcast. And then from there, you know, we'll be jumping into first Thessalonians. So if you've been a regular listener, again, appreciate your support. Love the time that we can have studying the Bible together. So look forward to that particular study in 1 Thessalonians. Now, if you're familiar with these letters to the Thessalonians, you'll know, particularly when you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, I believe there is a picture, a doctrine known as the rapture. And so what I'm going to be doing and then cross-referencing that a little bit, of course, not until we get entirely into 2 Thessalonians, but I will cross-reference back and forth between both letters as we know they're written at different times but to paint a bigger picture a broader picture i should say a clear understanding of paul's eschatological positioning and so look forward to that you guys because a lot of people have asked me in times past that i can remember hey you know will you ever on the podcast cover doctrinal things and i say well the purpose of it hence the term or i should say the name of the podcast is stand strong in the word you know we study book by book you know verse by verse uh, in chronological order but yes when we do hit a particular passage when we're covering a particular passage that goes in depth about uh, the prophet about prophecy uh, or a particular theology on atonement or something to that effect then as best as I can do within within my limited knowledge, I will bring that up and and, and try to uh, make sense not just in the context where we're, that we're reading, but also applying it to other passages of Scripture to kind of see holistically a particular tenet of the faith. And so, in that case, as we start looking ahead and looking at the letters to the Thessalonians, I just want to give you guys a heads up that we're going to be covering a lot of prophecy. A lot of things about the end times. And so if you do have questions about that, you can send an email to info at standstrongministries.org. As always, you can go to standstrongministries.org, click on uh, podcast there. We have two now. One that I partner with Christian Post on the Edify Podcast Network called Challenging Conversations with Jason Jimenez. I bring on guests. I bring on buddies, colleagues, friends. They're not really interviews, but they're more discussion. And I want a lot of people out there in, you know, the world of uh, Christian thinking and biblical worldview training 
to help you and I better, not, not just to better understand a particular subject, but also to better understand how to communicate what it is we believe in the cancel culture that we find ourselves, you know, uh, wrestling with on a daily basis. And so I pray these research, resources are on, on my website are a blessing to you guys, articles, videos. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Jason P. as in Philip Jimenez, or you can just punch in Jason Jimenez Pastor, Jason Jimenez Author on YouTube, and my channel will come up. Hit the subscribe button and check out those videos and share them with your church and with other people that you think will find them uh, very encouraging as well as informative. So with that being said, let me just give you guys a brief little rundown. If you've missed anything, click on podcast there. My notes are there on the podcast section for Stand Strong in the Word, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon Music, all of the different platforms, wherever you get your podcast. Not only is Challenging Conversation uh, there, uh, but also, as you know, Stand Strong in the Word. So where we're at at this particular point in our discussion in Galatians 4, because the last time when we looked at it, we were seeing Paul in verses 8 through 20 of Galatians 4. There's a, there's a personal plea that he gives. And it's amazing, you guys. And, and again, if you missed it, check it out. Because if you know me, not just personally, but you just know what we're about here on the podcast, and you could tell my not just the sound of my voice, but where my passion and conviction lies. And I'm saying this as an ordained minister, as, as a man who strives daily before God to be a shepherd of God's word, to teach people, to love people, whether it's writing, whether it's debating, in my travels, coming alongside churches, talking to pastors as I was just talking to a pastor recently, it's, it's important that we love the people that we're around and convey that to them. Convey that. I was walking out of the gym today and I've been witnessing to this guy and he's kind of coming around. But I'm not pushy with him, but I love the guy and I let him know that. And, and again, this isn't me learning this on my own. This is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And looking at scripture right now with you and seeing the way that Paul did exactly that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he communicated in a difficult time with difficult people in difficult circumstances, but he didn't waver. And as a true pastor, as a true leader, and I was just explaining this to my son, Tyler, it matters. Leadership matters. Good leadership, good results. Bad leadership, bad results. And no, no matter what industry, we're talking politics, private sector, whatever. Church leadership, leadership matters. And Paul, in verses 8 through 20, in this personal plea from an apostle to people who are wavering, who are compromising, many people were turning to the Judaizers, they're turning to false doctrine. The way that Paul handles them is awesome. It's amazing. Truly amazing. And it's a lesson for all of us, particularly those listening right now who are in ministry full-time, that your job that God has given you is to shepherd people. So guys, don't miss out on the tone and the approach because in verses 17 through 20, just an amazing heartfelt plea. 
And I want to read those verses to you as we now enter our final section in this chapter. So let's read this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul writes, Or they, that is the Judaizers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. So let me just pause and just say this as we were talking about this last podcast. It's all about them. You guys, I'm telling you, Galatians 4, 17 is an amazing passage of scripture that exposes a lot of these what we refer to in our culture today as celebrity pastors. Their motive, what they do, they're driven for applause. For applause. They are driven for acceptance. And dare I say, they make a living. They make a living to be worshipped. And we have to get that under our belts. We have to understand that because they want to shut you out that you, Paul says, may, may make much of them. It's about them. It's not about Christ. And so you come to them for their pro, your, your problems and they're not going to be there for you. They don't care. You come to listen to them, teach the word of God. And, and they just have a message that they want you to give applause for to stand up and give ovation, to recognize them, to give an amen for what they have to say. Now, I'm not saying everything entirely is wrong and that we are not to affirm people publicly. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm looking at this passage here in verse 17 that we discussed. And the Judaizers, their attempt was to separate the Galatians from Paul. And that's another thing, you guys, that we talked about that is so important. We have to be tuned in. We have to see people who are trying to turn you from the people that God has placed in your life. And you can't fall for that. And Paul says in verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not only when I am present with you. My little children, notice my, he says, my born ones from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So what he's saying is, I am going through this heartache, this pain with you. It pains me to see you make wrong choices. It pains me to see you guys being led astray. And so he says in verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. So he even admits at this point that, you know, sometimes if you're a parent or grandparent out there, and our kids do something that not just hurts your feelings, but it cuts you deep. And you're a little perplexed. You're you're wondering what, you know, do they not care about me? Or are they not listening to me? Or is it going to be like this for years to come? Are we going to have a good relationship, you know, in the future? You know, what's going to come of my son, my daughter? And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, I'm speaking true to you guys and I'm trying to be as vulnerable as I can as I'm trying to communicate difficult matters to you. And I'm trying to do it in a way that will not only touch your heart, but also speak to your mind and bring conviction through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I just love that, you guys, the way he did that. And so now this is important because what he does is this isn't just strictly emotion. This isn't just saying, hey, love wins and, you know, 
um, you guys love me and I love you and you're there for me and I got your back and that's it. No, it's like, let's look at scripture. Let's look at the Torah now in verses 21 through 31 to, in essence, not build a backdrop because he's already done that in previous chapters, particularly in Galatians chapter 2. But what he's doing here is he's building the foundation. And I love this because, again, the law in and of itself, we talked about this in Galatians chapter 3, is not evil. It's not bad. But the thing about the law is it has its limitations, but it has its limitations because it's designed to do primarily one thing and one thing only, and that is to expose people who break the law, that there is a law in place. This is what you're to do or not to do. And of course, if you don't listen to the law and you break the law, the law just as a mirror reflects that you broke the law. And there needs to be retribution. But what Paul's doing here now is, he again, he doesn't want to make the case that just because the law doesn't save you, because that's not the intent of the law, the law just exposes that you need a savior. That you're not perfect. So it's not a bad thing. Remember, God is the creator of these laws. So Paul doesn't just throw it all out, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Paul now, in these next few verses, in 10 verses, he's going to show, as he makes an appeal now, he appealed to them in the heart, and he's appealing to the mind by using a historical example by looking back in the Old Testament, the Torah particularly. So the first part we're going to see here is the historical example that Paul gives in verses 21 through 33, or excuse me, 23. Notice in these three verses, Paul writes, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. All right, let's pause and let's unpack this because from the historical example in verses 21 through 23, we're going to transition into the next section and we're going to see Paul giving an allegorical interpretation in verses 24 through 27 and then right after that, a personal application in verses 28 through 31. So let's take Paul's appeal by using the Torah in three parts. So here's the historical thing. Let's understand what Paul was just saying. What he's doing now when he transitions from this heartfelt plea He's now saying, as he's changed his tone to them, as he's perplexed, he's posing a question. He's confronting the Galatians because he's arguing in a way to them that you are not knowing what you're actually getting yourself involved in. Have you ever been there with someone where you, 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 you're, you're trying desperately to you know, have their back and to... Uh, affirm them in their decision making but as they're talking to you you don't see really any evidence that they know what they're talking about that they've actually spent time you know working through some of these things and that's certainly what Paul's conveying here is you, you, you guys don't know the very law that you want to be under you don't know much about it I like what the New King James Study Bible says it says quote apparently Paul counters the Jewish false teacher's zeal for the law with an argument based on the law, the Pentateuch. So the very people who, in addition, right, because it's both the Galatians he's confronting, but also he's confronting the people 
who are dragging them down. And he'll get into that in Galatians chapter 5 in the next chapter. And so what he's saying is, okay, you guys are making an argument based on the law through the Pentateuch. You see this in Genesis 16 through 15 and 21 through verse 2. So let's look at it. So the New King James Study Bible says, he uses, that is Paul, he uses allegory to prove his point because it was a rhetorical technique the teachers used to use. In other words, Paul was demonstrating that he could argue from the law just as well as they could. But to prove that the law of Moses pointed to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, end quote. So in actual fact, I will use a law as a law was rightfully used. And it was pointing to Jesus as our Savior. So now in verse 22, when he says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. Remember, he's going back to Abraham as he talked about in Galatians 3. And up to this point, remember, Paul was, argue, was arguing with the Galatians that they had been united you know, uh, to Christ through faith. And therefore, remember, they were the true seed of Abraham in Galatians 3 verse 29. So now what Paul's doing is he's returning back to Abraham because his primary argument is to stress once more, and that's a great sign of a teacher, you guys. They continue to reiterate something, right? So he's, he's making his primary argument to stress the law cannot save you from your sins. And so when he's going back to Abraham having two sons, remember the first contrast was slave versus free. Ishmael, the older son, was born to Sarah's slave. Hagar, Genesis 16. And Isaac, the younger son, was born to Abraham's wife, Sarah, in Genesis 21, 1 through 6. So you are free, but you want to go back into slavery. So, but the son, he says here in verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So the second contrast, which was an ordinary birth with no promise versus a special birth with promise. Abraham and Sarah attempted to have a son outside the plan of God. And even though when God has a map, a way to the promised land, and you just trust him and obey him, we, what? We verge off that. And so Abraham and Sarah were told by God through the manifestation of these angels who came in human form to tell him that this promise, God had heard his prayers and that he would have a son. But Abraham and Sarah they heard that and they thought, well, okay, let's act on that. But the way in which they went, Ishmael was born in the ordinary sense without the promises of God because he went off to Hagar and Sarah thought it was a good idea. You'll have a son through Hagar. But no, God said, remember, Abraham and Sarah, you will have a child. Now, just because in slavery, Hagar belonged to them didn't mean that that was the way in which God was going to bring them a child through one of their slaves. Now, Isaac, on the other hand, he came into the world through the promises of God. And so this is setting forth the biblical narrative of Abraham's two sons. So when Paul was then contrasting the son of the slave and the son of the free woman, he's, again, metaphorically taking what historically occurred, but also, some would say, in an allegorical sense, applying it to a spiritual meaning. And this is a clear distinction between religiosity constructed by man that's represented through Hagar and her son Ishmael and God's covenantal grace that's offered through Jesus Christ that we see through Isaac. So now in verses 24 through 27, Paul says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. So I love this because he clearly says this. Now I wish in some cases, uh, and there's a lot of them, 
in the Bible. I wish they would be as blunt as Paul is here. Now, let me just tell you guys, this is to be taken allegorically. Oh, okay. So let's interpret it that way. And that's what I was saying in my opener is that when you fail to interpret things properly, you know, if there's, if there's hyperbolic teaching, you know, or language, I should say, that's there, you got to pay close attention to those things. And the, the one of the primary examples I always give people when Jesus says, pluck out your eye, you know, so that you don't sin with your eye. Does he literally mean pluck out your eye? Cut your hand off? No, that's hyperbolic language. So it's to the extreme because he's stressing the significance and importance of it. So here's a prime example of where to, where to take this allegorically and understanding the way in which he's, you know, using it in this way is because there's, there's a, a spiritual meaning behind it. And so we have to understand the historical significance of Abraham and his two sons and what that cost his family. And one side was obedience and one side was disobedience. One side was blessing, one side was a curse. To understand what Paul's saying now using the law to emphasize salvation is not through circumcision. So now he says here in verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. So now he's going specific. Before he was talking about two sons, now he's talking about the two women. Hagar was not the wife of Abraham. And in no way, I just feel like to put a disclaimer out there, because a lot of my atheist skeptic buddies and friends who I have encountered many for many years, they will say, um, oh, you know, look at this. This is polygamy. And you guys say, you know, natural marriage between one man and one woman, but yet you see people that God says were people after his own heart who followed him doing things that are contrary. And you're right. That's the whole point. Scripture exposes the sin of man, the need of a savior, that we're not Jesus. We needed a savior to come like Jesus in the flesh. Because even people like Abraham don't listen to God and go sleep with Hagar, who's not his wife. And that's a sin on so many levels. Okay, so just to be clear. So now in verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So now he's taking these, they're not just two covenants, but they're also two locations. So we'll unpack that. So it says, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. So here's a third contrast. And this is important as we're seeing all these contrasts. Remember, let's go back. Just, you know, if you, if you perhaps maybe forgot. The first contrast in verse 22 is slave versus free. The second contrast that Paul's giving here is in verse 23, the um, ordinary birth with no promise versus the spiritual birth with promise. And so now the third contrast is Mount Sinai, which is the old covenant in Jerusalem, which is the new covenant. Now, to clinch his argument about being free from the law, remember, because Christ, it's no longer I who live, Paul says, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's through the redemption of Christ, Galatians 3.13, that I'm saved, that we're all saved. So what Paul's doing is he's taking that, be, you know, again, the argument about being free from the law because of Christ, he now draws out a deeper meaning of the births of Ishmael and Isaac. And that's why he says they're to be interpreted allegorically because the method of allegorical teaching was very common in Jewish teaching. So this is not some foreign practice, something that the people of Galatia were unaware of. This is very common. And so when he's saying these two women are two covenants, he's saying, look, the first covenant is when God gave his law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Remember that? You can check, the, you can check that out in Exodus 19 through 34. But 
what we saw with the Hebrews in the wilderness, they were still in a form of slavery. They were still in a form of bondage because Hagar represents the law and therefore represents bondage. So though they were free from slaves under the dictatorship of Pharaoh, the Egyptian people, they were under the law. They were a slave to it. But he says, but the Jerusalem above is free, verse 26, and she is our mother. See what I'm saying? If we don't understand how to interpret this, and thank God that Paul says take it allegorically, makes it a lot easier. So we're thinking, what, what is he talking about now about Jerusalem is free and the mother, mother Jerusalem? So what he's saying here, and this is important, God, remember, made the city of Jerusalem the place where he dwelt with his people. That's key. That is so important not to miss. And that's what Paul's pointing out because here's the thing, the Judaizers, you guys remember, the Judaizers were saying you need this in order to have this. So you need to be circumcised to be really saved, to really have a relationship with God and God will really bless you and you'll really be a devoted follower. Don't you want that? Well, instead of them drawing closer to God, they draw, they're draw they drawing farther away. And so Psalm 78, 67 through 68 says, he rejected the tent of Joseph, that is God. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. That not that awesome? However, Christ, and this is what's important, God chose Mount Zion, Zion, I should say, in outside of Jerusalem because it says he loves that place. So God loved Abraham and Isaac and he gave them, of course he blessed Ishmael, but the covenant was to be with the Hebrew people, the Jewish people to come. Not Ishmael, which his line leads to Islam. And that's the place where God says, I will love these people and they will follow my covenant and they will live for me. And what's also amazing is fast forward now this time of Paul is that Christ will bring the true Jerusalem from heaven to earth one day. So in the timetable, and as I was mentioning earlier with Thessalonians, you'll see Paul start talking about the end times prophecy, the last days, if you will. And one day we will see you guys, the epicenter that is Jerusalem on the holy you know, mountain, Temple Mount, where the Al-Aqsa Mosque, you know, resides right now, that Christ will take that again, okay? He will take that again in Jerusalem. And so the question here is that, is that Paul is posing to the Galatians is whether they will stick to the old legalistic Jerusalem on earth, right? which the Jewish people, remember, they deny Christ as Messiah, so they're still awaiting that. And they want to build, build the temple again. They want to rebuild, which will be the third temple. And what Paul's saying is, guys, there will come a time where Christ will rule and reign in Jerusalem, and he will reign here on earth. And that's, that's true freedom that's found in the heavenly Jerusalem. Do you want to go to the old legalistic way, or do you want to anticipate and go to the new? Because the bottom line is this, and this is what's so important is when you're identifying Jerusalem, the holy city, the place which God says he loves, again, not showing partiality. It's just at, in time of history, he chose, starting with Abram, who became Abraham, and then you have the patriarchs, starting with them, that a 
a nation would come that would proclaim his name to the world. That was her calling. That was her calling. And so you go to that to where Jerusalem will be established, known as Salem to Jerusalem. And knowing the representation there with the temple and worshiping God and God coming in Shekinah glory to be with him. To then Christ coming fast forward from this point in time when the temple is still erected and he prophesies in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 25 20 through 24, 24 through 25 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 that the temple will be destroyed. But Christ was talking not only about that temple, but he's also, he was talking about going back to John chapter two. He's talking about being the temple himself. Remember in John 2, 18 through 22, when the Jews said, it says here, they said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews were like, it's taken 40 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking, I love this, John, just like Paul was saying earlier, hey, take this allegorically. And so John inserts himself here and gives some commentary. He says, Jesus at this time was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture in the word that Jesus had spoken. So when, when Paul's pointing the Jerusalem, the new covenant, that's what he's saying, you guys. Ultimately, it's not just a geographical thing, but it's about the restoration that takes place in our lives. But also it's identifying the true Jerusalem that is in heaven. Hebrews 12, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Revelation 21, verse two, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride ordained for her husband. And then verse 27 says, for it is written, rejoice, O barren, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And I love this because as Paul was pointing to the true Jerusalem, not the legalistic one, but ultimately the new heavens and the new earth, knowing that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and he came representing himself being the, the body that will die for our sins, being the lamb that would be slaughtered for us to atone for our sins, and then rising from the dead and saying, you guys one day will have a resurrected body so that we are now, as Paul says later to the Corinthians, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now he ends this particular passage by applying Isaiah 54, verse one, to capture the prophetic words of Israel's future deliverance from exile, because that's what it's all about. So why would you be going back to bondage? And so the word of Isaiah is meant to bring hope. And that's why Paul's quoting it, just like Jerusalem represents hope. And yet look at the warfare, look at the turmoil, look at the division that it's caused. It's the epicenter, you guys. Whatever's happening in Jerusalem will affect the rest of the world. It's been like that since God has elected that place, ordained that place to proclaim his truth. And so so Isaiah, and this is why Paul's you know, using the, the hopeful message he's giving the one of joy to his people then, to the Jews currently, to the Galatians and saying, guys, there is joy because ultimately we, we Jews, we are called to freedom, not to bondage. So then he drives it home by giving a personal application in verses 28 to 31. He says, now you brothers like Isaac. So see, now he's applying it. So this is the, he's landing the plane. He's going to provide 
them an opportunity to understand this from a historical, allegorical, to now a personal level. He says, now you brothers like Isaac, you're, you're children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, persecuting him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. Okay, so here's the first, or excuse me, here's the fifth contrast. But actually, I just missed. I'm sorry, you guys. Let me go back real quick. Let's go back to verse 28. Let me give you the fourth contrast now. He goes from the persecutor versus the persecuted. And remember, this is the the compare and contrast. He's saying, hey, you go to the law, this is what you're going to get. Slave, bondage, persecutor. You go to the free and you're going to have blessings, the promises of God, new Jerusalem that represents freedom and a right relationship. But the fourth contrast here, he's saying, if you guys are children of promise, remember you're a seed of Abraham and now he's referring to him as children of promise like Isaac, right? And be persecuted. And so he's painting a, that is Paul, he's painting a striking parallel between Abraham's situation in Genesis with his two sons and the conflict that he faced with the Galatians. Wow. Now what he's saying is, you guys remember the conflict that Abraham had with his sons? I'm having that with you. And so either the Galatians will turn to the bondage or they'll choose to walk in grace as they were taught by Abraham, and which they were, by the way, doing until the Judaizers, the Judaizers came and started teaching them false doctrine. And this phrase here, persecuted him who was born, this refers to Isaac being tormented, remember, by his older brother Ishmael. You can look that up in Genesis 21, 9 and 10. And so this was happening now as the Judaizers were putting down the Galatians. But he says here, in, when he's talking about here in verse 30, he's, you know, uh, in referencing to cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the, uh, the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Here's the fifth contrast. You either be a castaway or you be the heir. And we saw in Galatians 3, we are, we are sons of God. We are heirs of his inheritance. And so eventually, remember, Hagar and Ishmael, they were sent away because they had no rights of Abraham's inheritance. And in like manner, Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin and death. Paul wrote in, in Romans 6, 6 through 11, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the, old, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, end quote. Amen. Amen to that. I love that. We are dead to sin, my friends. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why would we compromise that or want to turn to something that can never the world offers us joy, but it can't give us joy. And that's what Paul is trying to point out to the Galatians to get them to understand. And that's what he says in the end. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. See, and this is also another insight as to where many of the Galatians were at. Paul was not considering them as people who lost their faith or uh, completely abandoned their faith. You know what I mean? 
He says, guys, we are uh, children of the free woman. So even as Isaac is the son of the promise who will receive his father's inheritance, right? So we, children of God, are so because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not because we follow the law. So we do not receive the promises of God by observing the law or by works. And that's what Paul was saying to them. So you guys see the, the significance of understanding the historical nature of what Paul's writing about with Abraham and his two sons and, his, and Hagar and Sarah, and then understanding how to interpret it allegorically. And then through that, we can take the spiritual meaning and apply it in our lives as, as just as Galatians you know, was learning through what Paul was pleading to them. And that's the power, you guys, of God's word, of his truth. So I pray this has been a blessing to you guys as you look at your life and you wonder, where do I stand with the Lord? Am I compromising? And if so, how can I get my life right with him? As always, if you guys have prayer requests, if you want to just drop me a note and say, hey, Jay, this is what I'm struggling with. Can you pray for me? I would love to do that for you. So send me an email, info at standstrongministries.org. So thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.